topic of modern orthodoxy, uh, Rabbi uh, Tversky covered quite a few of the Ikori Huemuna. The Rambam, we know, has a list of what he considers are the 13 Ikori Huemuna, the principles of faith of our religion. Uh, and one of, in every generation there's an issue regarding one or another or a few of these Ikori Huemuna. In our generation, the main issue between the conservative and the other branches of Judaism is the principle of faith that the Rambam uh, writes, that the laws of the Torah are immutable and the laws of the Torah do not change. This is not accepted by the, uh, the other groups of, uh, of Jews. What is this all about? Why should that be the case? Why do we insist so stubbornly? Why do the Orthodox insist so stubbornly that the laws of the Torah cannot be changed every, in every state? There's a state constitution. The United States has a constitution. So they have amendments to the constitution. If the Rabbanu Shalom will reveal himself and he'll tell us that uh, or the Rabbanu Shalom gives authority to the rabbis and the rabbis will say, based on what God authorized them, that we think it's time to change this din. This din is outdated, only made sense in that generation. This generation does make sense. Why such an, an insistence? So the um, explanation that's given, both by the uh, Balatanya, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe in his book on Jewish thought, as well as Rab Chaim Balazhina, who is a contemporary of his, he was a student of the Vilna Goen, and he represented the position of the Misnagdim, so they both write the same explanation that we believe that the laws that appear in the Torah are not merely a collection of laws, not just that uh, these are the mitzvahs I say that you have to shake a lulav and you have to sit in sukkah and you have to eat a matzah and you're not allowed to do these averis, you're not allowed to be machal shabbos, you're not allowed to eat non-kosher food. The laws of the Torah are something much, they are certainly a collection of laws. They are laws and you have to observe the laws strictly. But in addition to that, there's something much more to the Taryag Mitzvahs, namely that we believe that the uh, combination of all of the laws of the Torah are a representation of uh, God's essence. It's hard to describe God. How would you say uh, Elokus is? God's essence is something like this. So the Kuzari has a famous expression, uh, he writes, If I would understand the nature of God, I would be God himself. The only one who really understands the nature of God is God himself. So the only understanding we can possibly have about the essence of God is only Alderach uh, And a Marshal, we also wouldn't be able to understand at all because Elokus is so far from anything that we can possibly uh, understand. So Rabbi Chaim Valozhena writes, The Torah is just a Marshal of a Marshal of a Marshal of HaKadosh Baruch Where does this idea come from that the Torah, the, the laws of the Torah are a mashal, or the way Abchaim Valojana says, a mashal of a mashal of a mashal. So the, uh, there is a Pasuk in Sefer Shmuel where the Pasuk uh, reads, Kashayoyma HaMashal HaKadmoini Berishoyim Yetzei Resha. As the ancient proverb goes, all uh, terrible things emanate from bad people. Uh, so who is the author of this Mashallah Kadmoni? Where does it come from? From Confucius? The Rashi in his commentary on Chumash and Parshas Mishpatim quotes a Medrash that the Mashallah Kadmoni is a reference to the Torah. In what way is the Torah Mashallah Kadmoni? The Kadmoni is the ancient one with the capital A. That's a reference to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He was there before the whole world came into existence. So he's the ancient one. And the Torah is a Mashallah Hakadmoni. What, what does that mean? It's a Mashallah authored by God. 
So the Chafetz Chaim says, no. Yes, it was authored by God. That's half of the story. But it's a marshal of God. And he says, a marshal of to understand what this is like. So he says, let's say, I've never met, he lived in a generation, there were still a couple of kings around. So he writes, let's say, I've never met the king in a certain country. But I see his photograph in a newspaper. So if I'll come into the capital city and I'll see this man walking in the street and I'll see him uh, protected with, uh, with guards and, uh, and police and so on and I'll recognize the face based on the photograph that appeared in the newspaper I'll be able to identify that this is the king because his, uh, his facial features correspond to those that appeared in the newspaper in the photograph. So the photograph is a marshal of the king, so to speak. So the collection of all of the laws of the Torah are basically a mashal hakadmoni, a mashal of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's a description of Elokus. How can you really describe Elokus? Rabbi Chaim Balozhina softens this. So he says it's a mashal of a mashal of a mashal. That we should be able to understand somewhat of a glimpse of what Elokus is all, is all about. Some type of an insight. Somewhat of an insight. And our tradition has it, the Novi Malachi tells us, Ani Hashem lo shanisi, that the Rabbani Shalom created a world and everything in the creation is always subject to change. Everything is always changing. That's part of the Bria. Except for the Bari Olam himself. The Rabbani Shalom is above. He's Lamayla min Ateva. He's Lamayla min Azman and Lamayla min Amokim because time and, and place are part of the Bria. So the Rabbani Shalom is above all of this. The Rabbani Shalom is above change also. So the Novi Malachi makes the statement in the name of HaKadosh Baruch Ani Hashem Lo Shanisi. God says that His essence never changes. So since we believe that the uh, collection of laws in the Torah, the, the 613 mitzvahs, the mitzvahs say with the mitzvahs loisaseh, truly are a collection of dinam that have to be observed. It's not just a, a, a parable. And Avraham Avinu really existed. He really was a person. And Moshe Avinu really existed. And God really existed. And all of these mitzvahs are for real. We have to keep all the mitzvahs. But there's something more to it than that. The collection of all of the mitzvahs gives you a full description to the ability that it's humanly possible to understand, to have a glimpse of HaKadosh Baruch This gives us a glimpse of the essence of God. This is a mashal of a mashal, of a mashal, so to speak, of the essence of HaKadosh Baruch So because we believe that God's essence doesn't change, God is Lamailam and Ateva, only the Bria changes, so that's why we assume, that's why we believe that the laws of the Torah are immutable. No. So with this, and this is the this is the orthodox stubborn insistence against the other brands of Judaism. That Zos This is the debate that's uh, going on for the last uh, hundred years with the reform, with the conservative. That we believe that the laws of the Torah cannot change. So once you make this assumption that orthodoxy's position is that the laws of the Torah are immutable, and it has to be like that by definition because we believe that the mitzvahs are a, are a description of Elokus and God's essence doesn't change. So where is there room for modern orthodoxy? Modern orthodoxy means that things change. We live in changing times and uh, since, the, since the world, that's exactly what the reform and the conservative are saying. We live in changing times, so it's time to change a little bit. So if the definition of the orthodox position is that we subscribe to the 13 principles of faith of the Rambam, and one of these principles is this major principle that the laws of the Torah do not change, so isn't this a contradiction in terms? How can you speak of uh, modern orthodoxy as one expression? So the answer is that it's not really a contradiction in terms at all. All we mean is the following. Those who study Shulchan Aruch, those who study Hilcha let's say. So when you study Hilcha everything is contained in one sif, 
No. You have one chapter, one simon, and another simon, and another simon. One chapter after the other, after the other, after the other. And then you have many sifim within each chapter. If you did it like this, it's okay. If you did it like that, it's not okay. If you stood on your head, then it will be okay. If it's like under these conditions, under those conditions, under the other conditions. And that's one aspect. And then you have the next simon. More shyless, with more details. There are a lot of dinah. So there are many, many details in Allah. The same thing, Hilchus Basa Bukhalo. But the laws of cooking meat and milk, everything can be summarized in one line. No! People learn in yeshivas, they spend weeks and weeks and sometimes months and months covering all the laws of Basa There are a lot of details. There's not one simon, it's not one sif. It's many simonim and many sifim, a lot of details. If it happened like this, if the pot was used for milchiks within the last 24 hours, the answer was one way. If the pot was used for milchiks more than 24 hours ago, the answer will be different. If you have shishim, the din will be like this. If you don't have shishim, the din will be like that. And many, many more details and many details in, in Hilchus Basabachalov. Is it a suffix? Is it a vada? Is it chicken? Is it meat? Is it really milchig menatar? Is it only milchig menatar? Is it whey? Is it milk? A lot of details. When a shayla comes up, even the experts can't pass in one, two, three. They have to look through all the details. And there's a long checklist. The Pim Gordon has a long checklist. A hundred, a hundred thousand questions that you have to ask to find out what the din is. And the same in Hilchus Shabbos. All, all areas of halacha are very detailed. We have many details in the halacha. And it's correct that the world is changing. And because of the fact that the world is changing, that that's why we have to open up our eyes and to take a good look to see maybe the fact that we have always been applying Sif Aleph, maybe that no longer applies. Maybe we have to apply Sif Beis. Not, we, not that we're changing the Din. If you live under different circumstances, you have a different Shaila. If you have a different Shaila, you're going to get a different Shuvah. It's going to be a different Psaq. It's not that anyone's thinking of changing the Allah. No. Orthodoxy insists the laws of the Torah do not change but the world is changing so sometimes we have to apply Sifalaf and sometimes we have to apply Sifbeis and although it may look as if we're changing the religion it may look as if we're changing the Psaq we're not really changing the Psaq all of this says on the books it says in Shulchanach if, if the conditions are such then the, then the answer is going to be different then the Psaq is going to be a different Psaq very often people think that they're doing exactly the same as their, uh, as their fathers and their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers and because of the fact that we live in different times they're not doing the same they're changing they're not observing the religion in the same way if their great-grandfathers would have lived in our generation they wouldn't, observe, they wouldn't have done the mitzvahs the way their great-grandchildren are doing it because the circumstances are so different everything is a different ball game and a different sif applies in the Shulchan just to take some Famous uh, biblical examples, uh, we read in Bereshis that Avram Avinu uh, was commanded by Kodesh Bochot to go to Eretz Yisrael, and then there was a famine. So it says, Vayered Avram Mitzrayim, that Avram Avinu went down to Egypt because of the famine. So, it's interesting, Avram Avinu is a colorful figure who is described in the Chumash with the ten Nisiyanis that he had. Nyanko Avinu is described in the Chumash with all of his uh, children and all the, all the Asakim that he had. Yitzchak, hardly anything is described about Yitzchak. The only thing that the Chumash describes about Yitzchak is that he followed in the footsteps of his father. He carried on the tradition. That's very difficult. He carried over the tradition of his father without changing anything. He dug the same wells that his father dug and he gave the wells the same name that his father gave. So the Zohar comments on that Pesach, the commentaries on Chumash quote this from the Zohar, they say that Yitzchok's Iker essence, his midah was that he carried on 
all the traditions of his father Yitzchak. So we read in the Chumash that during the lifetime of Yitzchak there was a famine. So Yitzchak was going to do exactly what his father did. What did his father do when there was a famine? He went down to Egypt. So Yitzchak is prepared to go down to Egypt. On his way to Egypt, he stops off in Beersheba and he has a Gilish Shechina. God appears to him and he says, you're not allowed to go down to Egypt. How are you talking about me? You're not allowed to go down, but I follow the tradition of my father. So the Ben Shalom says, that's not the tradition of your father. You were offered on the Akedah as the carbon. And there's a din, if you take the carbon outside of its place, each carbon has a different makam. If it's a kachim kalim, a carbon shlamim, or a carbon taid, or a carbon pestle, so the makam is the whole Yerushalayim. If it's a kachim kachim, if it's a carbon on the higher level of Kedusha, so the makam is more restricted, the makam is only the azara, inside the, the Beis Hamikdash itself. So if a carbon is taken outside of its correct makam, it becomes nifsal biyotze, it becomes possible. So the Rabbi Shalom explains to Yitzchak Avinu, you are not following in the footsteps of your father. Your father was not a carbon, so he could travel any way he wants in the world. But you were offered on the Akedah as a carbon. True, he wasn't slaughtered. The, the animal sacrifice was substituted instead the last minute, but Yitzchak had the status of a carbon. So he says, if you will leave, and your makam is Eretz Yisrael. It's not the Beis Amigdush, the Azara. There was no Beis Amigdush then, and it's not the Yerushalayim, but it's the whole Eretz Yisrael. So because you have the status of a carbon, if you will leave Eretz Yisrael, you will become puzzled, like a carbon goes out of its makam. And your father himself, if he would have been a carbon, would also not have left Eretz Yisrael. So you're not following in the footsteps of your father, you're changing the Masar. Yitzchak didn't realize that doing exactly what his father did would be a change in the Masar. He wouldn't be carrying over the tradition from his father. It would be a violation of the Masar. And we read later, the Gemara has such a discussion in Sanhedrin with respect to Yeshua ben Nun that when they waged the war against the city of Yericho, so Yeshua ben Nun declared a cherem, everything was hegdish, none of the Bnei Yisrael are permitted to take any of the loot from the city of Yericho. So the Tanakh describes in the book of Yeshua that there was one character, Ochon ben Karmi ben Zabdi ben Zerach, and he took money and clothing and all kinds, gold and silver, all kinds of stuff. And the rabbis uh, had a tradition based on the wording that appears in the, in the book of Yoshua that this wasn't the first time that this Cheverman had violated a Cherem. Already in the days of Moshe Rabbeinu, in the different battles that were taking place during the lifetime of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Rebbe of Yoshua ben Nun, Moshe Rabbeinu, made such Haramim against the enemy that all of the property should be hegdish, no one should take anything, and this character often violated every Cherem at that time also. So when Ochan violated the cherem that was placed on the city of Yericho by Yeshua ben Nun. So the next war that they waged, so, Yeshua ben, so the city was conquered. Yericho was conquered. So the next war that they were supposed to wage was against the city Ai. Ai and Yud, the city Ai. So they lost the battle against Ai. So Yeshua ben Nun couldn't believe it. How can it be? God promised that there's going to be miraculous victories that none of the Jews would lose their lives. And here they lost the lives of uh, 36 people, one person who was the equivalent of 36 people, whatever the meaning of the Pasuk is, they lost the war. How could they lose the war? So the Rabbanu Shalom tells Yeshua ben Nun, idiot, it's your fault who told you to make a cherem. What do you mean, idiot, it's your fault? So the Gemara says on the same page, he was following the footsteps of his Rebbe, Moshe Rabbeinu gemacht a cherem. He did exactly the same thing. And this Cheverman Ochen who violated the Cherem in the days of Yeshua ben Nun after they conquered Yerich, he had violated all the Haram in the, in the earlier generation by Moshe Rabbeinu. So what's, what's wrong with what Yeshua ben Nun did? So the Ma'asho explains on the Gemara 
No, it's a big difference. In the days of Moshe Rabbeinu, there was not yet the principle of Kol Yisol HaRevim Zebazeh. We read this week in Parshas Nitzavim. Hanistaris Lashem Elkeinam Haniglos Lonol Vaneinu Adoylam Sarashi in his commentary on Chumash quotes from this passage in the Gemara in Sanhedrin that this principle of Kol Yisol HaRevim Zebazeh, that if one Jew violates an Avera, all of the whole community who, are, uh, who have an inkling of the fact that he's doing an Avera, if they're not aware, they're not aware. But if, if they know about the fact that he's doing an Avera, so all deserve a punishment. So this principle of Orvus, didn't begin to apply until the days of Yeshua Benun. Kozman, that Moshe was alive, there was no principle of Orvus. So if one person violated an Avera, he would be punished for that. And the other members of the Jewish community would not deserve any punishment. But after Yeshua Benun crossed over the Yardin, and the very first day they went to Hagrizim and Harevo, and they accepted the brachas at Lolas, and they accepted this principle of Orba, so now we live in a different world. Now it doesn't make sense any longer to make any cherem. All you need is one person, the same fellow who violated the cherem every single time there was a cherem. The five haramim that Moshe Rabbeinu instituted, all five were violated by this fellow, Ochon. But that was, he was going to burn a Gehenim. It didn't affect the rest of the Klali so. So the Rabbi Shalom is angry at Yeshua Ben-Nun. What do you mean? You think that you're the Talmud Muvak of Moshe Rabbeinu and you're following in the footsteps of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's not called following in the footsteps of your Rebbe. We live in a different generation. There's a principle of Orvus now and it doesn't make sense to make any more Haramim. If one person is going to violate the Cherem, everyone will be held responsible. You should have realized that your Rebbe himself, Moshe Rabbeinu, if he would be alive today, would not have made a Cherem. Yeshua Ben-Nun thought that he was doing exactly the same as his Rebbe. And Yitzchak Avinu thought that this is part of the Masar. You have to do like the father, like Avram Avinu did. You have to go down to Egypt when there's a famine. And they didn't realize that sometimes doing exactly what the, what the father did and what the grandfather did is not really doing exactly the same. All you need is one slight difference or one major difference and you're doing something completely different. Just because my grandfather... This is not the case. Just because my grandfather was one of the founders of the Mizrahi doesn't mean that I should belong to the Mizrahi. Just because my grandfather was one of the founders of the Aguda, which is also not the case, doesn't mean that I should belong to the Aguda now. The Aguda before Hakam Samadin is a different Aguda. The Mizrahi after Mohem Cheshitaimim is a different Mizrahi. The whole world is a different world. Just because the word, this is called Aguda, this is called Mizrahi, it doesn't mean it's the same. There's not necessarily any, any similarity, living or dead. So each generation you have to judge anew. Is this what my grandfather would, if I want to follow in the footsteps of my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, is that what my grandfather would have said? Is that what my great-grandfather would have done? Or not necessarily so. If you live in a whole different world, everything is different. Maybe you apply a different sif. Maybe my grandfather himself wouldn't have, wouldn't have joined the Aguda, wouldn't have joined the Mizrahi now, because everything is a whole different, whole different circumstance. Everything is changing in the world. I remember when my family lived in Philadelphia, there was no yeshiva, so my parents sent me to New York to learn in, the, in yeshiva Tana before my bar mitzvah. And for a few years I stayed by my grandparents in the Bronx and I went to Salanta Yeshiva this. I remember my grandparents were very poor. They, couldn't, they simply couldn't afford to leave on lights the whole Shabbos. So there was a light on in the bathroom, an electric light. And in the kitchen there was no electric light. My grandmother lit the candles and when the candles went out, it was dark. That was it. Years ago, that's how you would identify an Orthodox Jew. If it was dark in his home, you knew that he was Orthodox. Because the Jews were so the Orthodox Jews were poor, they couldn't afford, there was no Shabbos clock. 
and they couldn't afford to leave the lights on uh, the whole Shabbos. So if it's dark, if you walk on the street, you see a dark home, he's, oh, that, that's, a, that's a religious Jew. The lights are on, obviously, he's, he's not too orthodox because he, he can't afford to leave the lights on, the whole Shabbos is going to turn him out. Now, so Rachel gives the point that, that years, years ago, in the days of the Rambam, that was the sign of a, of a Karoi home. That the Karoim didn't allow any lights to be on in the home. The Karoim interpreted that you're not allowed to leave on lights. So when you would walk in the street on, on Leal Shabbos, you would see lights. You would see a home that was lit up. Oh, you would know that they're Orthodox, they're traditional. And if it would be dark, that would be the sign that's an anti-traditional, that they were from the Karoim. And, and when I was growing up in the Bronx, in my time, the, the Orthodox Jews were so poor... So it's uh, paradoxical. The simon of an Orthodox family was that there are no lights on. So his mom is dark. So I understand when my grandmother benchlich, there was no problem. She would uh, she would light the candles and she would say the bracha Now who who just lights the candles and you don't have any lights on and the candles go out after a couple of hours and it's dark in the house. Nobody does that. Everybody has the lights on. So people don't realize that today it says in the Shulchan Aruch that what if the candles are lit already, the candles are on the whole afternoon. Someone has the lights on the whole afternoon on Friday afternoon. So when it comes Friday evening, time to bench licht, so it says in the Shulchan Aruch, they quote a thesis like that in, in, in Bamem Adlikin, you have to turn out the lights, blow out the candles, then light them again, L'Shem Shabbos. So many people don't realize they have the big chandelier is on in the dining room. The lights are burning the whole day, late in the afternoon, whatever. And then it comes to Shabbos, Lichtbenshin, uh, so the woman just lights the candles. She says, Shabbos. What's she lighting candles? The room is flooded with light. What is she what is saying? Lichtbenshin means you're illuminating the room. It's fully illuminated. So the, many, many of the contemporary posts say, Rabbi Salvechik used to say this, Rabbi Yankov Kamenetsky, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, they all said the same thing. Before the balabas, the bench is lit, she has to turn off all the lights in the room and then turn them out again for the sake of Shabbos. And then when she's turning on the chandelier and all the other lights, whatever she wants, as many lights as, as they can afford to have a beautifully illuminated uh, dining room and a uh, living room, whatever, then she should light the candles as well. And then you say the bracha, the bracha goes on all of the lights that you just put on. All right, but that's not what my grandmother did. What do you mean your grandmother? Your grandmother never could afford to leave on a chandelier. You don't even realize. You're not doing the same as your grandmother if you leave on the chandelier the whole day Friday. And you, you like the candle and say, Bracha, that's not, that's not following the footsteps. You're not thinking. That's totally different. Because of the changed circumstances that we have on the chandelier, the lights are on, you have to wake up and realize that you're not doing the same as your grandmother. You're doing different. The grandmother would, would never light candles when there already was a light in the room. She, would first, she didn't have to extinguish any light. She would turn off the electric light because they couldn't afford to leave it on the whole shop. There are many halachas like that. Ablazer Shach just passed away last year in Eretz Yisrael. So he, uh, he has, he's, he's known for his chidush Torah, for his tilpulim. But he has in his svarim on the Ramam, he has many chidushim halacha He has, for example... Uh, the generally accepted opinion is in Shulchan Aruch the accepted opinion in Shulchan Aruch is that when one rents an apartment the obligation to put on a mezuzah is only mid the biblical obligation of putting a mezuzah is only if the house belongs to me if it's only rented there's no biblical obligation it's only rabbinical in nature and the obligation only sets in after 30 days after you live in the house for 30 days so some say if you if you sign the contract, you've got to leave there for more than 30 days, 
You have to put a mezuzah from day number one. And others are not so convinced about that. Even if you sign the contract to live there for more than 30 days, some say you still have the 30-day grace period. But what happens if the house belongs to me? Then it's a biblical obligation. You have to put the mezuzah on day number one. So Rav Shach points out that based on a, another sif in Shulchan Aruch in a totally different place, in Hilchas Avodah it says that today... That din, it says the first, that din no longer applies, that we consider Schiris Kanya. Today the, we follow Din of the Mahusa. And today, in the days of the Talmud, if the landlord rents me an apartment and his home burns down, my landlord lives in New Jersey. In uh, Passaic. So let's say Khalil of Khalil have a nice landlord. Let's say his his home should burn down. So in the days of the Talmud it says he has a right to evict me from my apartment that he rented to me because it's self understood that he only rents the apartment because he doesn't need it. If his house burns down, of course, he can kick me out. Today, that's going to fly. So the Rishonim say it doesn't apply to Zman Azeh. Why not? Because we don't follow the din of the Talmud. We follow the secular law. And the secular law, there is no such thing. So Taisa says, therefore, since today when we rent an apartment, the landlord really doesn't have any shlita any longer. He doesn't have any rights over the apartment. He can't destroy his apartment. But basically, when he rents you the apartment, it belongs to you for that amount of time, provided you don't destroy it. So Taisa says, Allah Chalamai, so Bizman that we should say that Schiris Kanya. So Rav Shach says, wait a minute. Schiris Kanya said so the obligation to put a mezuzah on a rented apartment becomes a biblical. You no longer have the 30 days. He didn't change the halacha. The halacha is in Shulchan He never changed it. The din is that I rented apartments only with the Rabbani, you have 30 days. But the way we rent apartments belongs to a different sif in Shulchan That's the same as buying an apartment. has the same status as Shalachem. And he titles the obligation to put a mezuzah with Biman Torah. Bechoheno, bechoheno, bechoheno. There are many, many dinim and many minhogim. We have to investigate again to make sure are we really following the tradition of our, of our parents, of our grandparents, of our forefathers. I live in Washington Heights, so we had a different Rabbi Schwab was the rabbi in Broya's community. So he used to stay over. Every year he would learn, every morning after Shachas, he would learn kids to Shulchan Aruch for two or three minutes and somebody would say, Kaddish de Rabbanon. If somebody have and only one person says Kaddish, so they had to, had to have another opportunity for someone to say another Kaddish. So every year he would finish the whole cycle of all the kids to Shulchan Aruch. He would go back again the next year. So he would always point out time after time again in the days of the Talmud, it was required that a person who wants to daven has to be fully dressed, formally dressed. So those who lived in Persia to be formally, fully dressed. If you go to a wedding and you come to daven, you've got to have a big sash in the middle, a gartel. Today, when you go out in the street, that's the way people dress today, with a gartel. No, they wear a tie and a jacket. So today, the gartel means you have to wear a tie. So he would tell over the story, the humorous story, that there was a chassid who went to work one day, he went to the office, and then he was going to daven mincha, and he realized he forgot his gartel, so he took off his tie, and he tied it around himself and he used it as a gartel. He said, what was the guy doing? You don't need a gartel today. It's not a halachal emotion misinai. It's not engraved in stone, then you need a gartel. The Gemara says you have to be fully, formally dressed, like you would go to a wedding. So in the days of the Persians, the, the rabbis lived in Babylonia, in the days of the Persians, that was formally dressed, they would wear a gartle, they would wear a sesh. But today, formally dressed is the tie. He's not, he's not changing the din, he's just pointing out, you have to know how to translate the din. How does the din apply, Bismanazet? And many halachas like that. I remember on another occasion he pointed out, there are many minhogim that were instituted in Europe based on circumstances which no longer apply. We have a principle on dinam de Rabbanon, Dovish of the Minyan, Sochman Yerachal The rabbis introduced 
a rabbinical decree of prohibition with the Rabbanon because of a certain reason and the Talmud always explains what the reasons are so even if you live in a generation where the reason absolutely has no application whatsoever then the Rabbanon still has to be observed unless you'll get the rabbis to reconvene which once in a while will happen the rabbis will reconvene and they'll declare that we are repealing this din the Rabbanon that's called Davish of Minyan Xera the Rabbanon that was instituted for a specific reason still has to be observed even if you live in a generation where the reason doesn't apply so Rab Chaim Moser, many other poskim, there are more, many others say that this does not apply to Minhagim. This principle only applies to a real din, the Rabbanon doesn't apply to a minhag. So you have to reinvestigate all the Minhagim. Do the reasons for the Minhagim still apply today or not? So he would point out also every year in the cycle of going through the Kitsu Shulchanah, so before Pesach, he would go through some of the Hilchas Pesach, he wouldn't cover everything. The Balabatim don't have to write it. The Rabbanim have to keep something for themselves that the Balabatim have to ask Shilas. So he would cover the din and the Balabatim have to know. So every year he would mention that in certain parts of Hungary and certain parts of Germany and Europe they had a, an old minig that they would not eat chicken on Pesach. They would only eat flesh. What's that? Is? Because the chicken feed used to be grain. And it was a very common Shiloh Tesis lived centuries ago and the Shulchan Aruch and this was always going on. They went, when they would check the chicken, they wouldn't throw out the whole belly. They would cook the whole chicken with everything together. And very often they would find a, a kernel of grain that was cooked with the chicken in the burning hot soup, in the, in the water. And the chashash was that the kernel of grain may have just turned into chametz. And if you cook it on Pesach, chametz on Pesach is bemashu. So you have to throw out the whole chicken. And behemoth, you don't, you don't cook a whole behemoth together with the belly. If someone's going to cook the belly, there's going to be something else. And the belly, they're going to empty out. But the chickens used to cook all together with the belly, with full and everything. So that's why a minig developed in many areas of uh, Germany, in many areas of Hungary, not to eat chicken on Pesach. So Rabbi Schwab pointed out that this minig clearly no longer applies today. Nobody in America or in Eretz Yisrael, nobody in the world feeds grain anymore to the chickens. It's way too expensive. They feed maize. They feed corn on the cob to the chicken corn on the cob we don't eat on Pesach but that's not chomet that's kittiest so if you cook uh, if you cook a chicken on Pesach and you find some corn on the cob you don't throw out the whole chicken you take out the corn and you throw it out and try. you can eat the rest of it. so he says the whole meaning doesn't apply anymore today minhagim we have to investigate which minhagim do apply which minhagim don't apply for this you have to have an unusual tamir chachamim who understand what the true meaning of the halach is in order to interpret the halacha used to be observed years ago by wearing a sash, by wearing a gartel. And today, that din is supposed to be fulfilled by wearing a tie when you come to show. Wear a jacket and a tie. You have to be fully, formally dressed in a proper fashion. And you have to understand, well, what the basis of the, of the minhagim is and to ascertain whether the reasons for the minhagim still apply or not. So basically, for many years, there was a misunderstanding of what modern orthodoxy was all about. Many people thought that is basically a compromise when the 613 mitzvahs will take a centrist position why be an extreme orthodox Jew to observe all the 613 mitzvahs and why be extreme to this no good unhealthy to be an extremist Maimonides himself is the major proponent among the Jews that we shouldn't be extremists we should always go in the middle of the road it's the middle of the road it's 307 mitzvahs <laughs> and the 613 mitzvahs so you divide it in half you go in the middle so that's not that's not uh, centrist orthodoxy that's not uh, that's not modern orthodoxy that's not orthodoxy it means that you're not observing you've decided to observe some of the mitzvahs not to observe other mitzvahs that's a distortion of what uh, of what orthodoxy is modern orthodoxy means 
then we have to keep our eyes open. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein does this in every tshuva. He takes a din in Shulchan Aruch that has been observed for many years and he says, and no longer applies today due to changed circumstances. We live in a different world. So Sif Aleph no longer applies. We live under the conditions of Sif Beis. And Sim and Yud Gimel doesn't apply. We have to be governed by Sim and Yud Dalit. Everything is different. Rabbi Salvechik was uh, very known for this. He would point out that what it says in Shulchan Aruch, that was under those circumstances. We live in a different world, so we have to apply the next Sif in the Shulchan Aruch. Just open up your eyes and you realize it. So that's very important. Many people who feel that they're following all the traditions are really distorting the traditions. This is not the way their grandparents and their great-grandparents observed the religion. The whole society was different. Everything was so different. If you're going to do exactly the same, you're going, you think that you're doing exactly the same as your parents and your grandparents who lived in Europe so many years ago, a lot of times there'll be a major distortion involved because of the fact that the conditions are so different. For many years, the modern Orthodox uh, group was simply compromising and a lot of them lost their children either to one direction or the other. The, their children realized that there was a contradiction here. I remember when I was a young student in high school in the yeshiva, so we were studying Baba Basra. So I had a European, at that time almost all the rabbis were European. Very few were American uh, born. So I remember we were studying a Gemara in the second parak in Baba Basra. <coughs> About a fellow has a, a wine press and he has barrels of wine and somebody stole the barrels of wine and he finds them halfway down the block. And he doesn't know who gambled the wine. Was it stolen by Yidin? So even if they gambled the wine, it didn't become treif. Or was it stolen by Nachrim, who may have handled the wine, and they made the wine treif. The barrels of, let's say, Arov. So the Gemara says there was a certain city, Barov Ganva Yisrael. The overwhelming majority of the Ganovim were known to be Jews. So the Gemara says, okay, so the wine is kosher. So I remember one of the students asked the Rebbe Bitmimus, Rebbe! But, but if the fellow is a ganef, so what do you mean the wine is kosher? He's not a ganef. He's, he's not religious. He's not religious. Doesn't he answer the wine? So I remember the Rebbe explained to us that we're Americans. Americans are, think more logically. They're more consistent than Europeans. So Europeans, they didn't see any inconsistency. A person, he keeps these mitzvahs and the other mitzvah he doesn't keep. I either you have it, either you believe in God, you don't believe in God. Either you have an awareness that God is here. So how do you do that, Avera? No, they didn't think so much about it. He says Americans are more logical and more consistent. And and this Talmud can't see. Rebbe, if he said God, if it means it's not religion, not religious. So the wine should be drank. So he should ask for the wine. So the children of the original uh, modern Orthodox in America, many of them saw this inconsistency by their parents. So either they went all the way to the right or they went all the way to the left. They saw that what they, they're not going to maintain what their parents are doing because it just didn't make any sense. In recent years, the modern Orthodox have gained a little more respectability because in my generation, we didn't, there was no, there was a Medina saw, but we weren't learning in Eretz Yisrael. After, generation after mine, so the students go to Eretz Yisrael and they learn much more. And they get used to observing mitzvahs in a, in a stronger fashion. So when they come back, so they see, when they see inconsistencies in the parents, so they say, that's not modern orthodoxy, that's conservative. You're just making a compromise. So they're, they're prepared to observe all the mitzvahs at Torah, and they're prepared to update the mitzvahs. Fine, that's modern orthodoxy. You have to update. You have to, you have to search the literature, study all the mitzvahs, study all the minhagim, and find out. Should we continue to observe all of the mitzvahs in the same way our parents did? Is that the correct application? Or is it time that we should have to apply a different sif in Shulchan Aruch? That's not a compromise. 
Amiran, but you're updating the halacha. You're doing it the, the more correct way. It's the more correct way to fulfill the mitzvahs. But again, this this requires this requires a lot of study, a lot of understanding. You have to have Talmud Chacham. Stam, you have a person who has a little knowledge, a smattering of a knowledge of Talmud, a smattering of a large of Shulchan, so he's going to say, oh, this, this applies in this way, in that way, in Shine, Shine, and do away with all the mitzvahs out there. You have to have a learned individual who knows what the reasons for the minhagim, what are the reasons of the minhagim, what is the nature of the dinim in order to know how it applies. It's something that we have to think seriously about because when you, a lot of times when you're middle, when you go in the middle, so they throw stones from the right and from the left. So you lose, you're losing out uh, on both accounts. We don't want to lose our children. So we have to make sure that we are leading a life that is consistent. The children have a prayer if The children want to become chassidish. Okay, I'm not a chassidish. My children want to become chassidish. That's another derech and avodah Hashem. Okay, I would not be that thrilled about it but uh, I wouldn't be upset I wouldn't be I wouldn't be angry I wouldn't be angry about it okay that's another that's a proven derech that we saw for generations that that worked or if the parents are chesidish and their child uh, decides he wants to become a yeshivish and which many of the chesidish they send their children to these uh, litvish yeshivas and they become Lithuanianized and the children uh, leave away all the chesidish and they, and they become real uh, like litvakis okay so the parents are not so thrilled about it. They would have preferred that the children should uh, maintain their minhogim. But they know that this is a valid derech and avodah Hashem. They know there are many Orthodox Jews who are not chassidish. Everybody is tolerant of the other one. Okay. But we don't want, that's not called losing your child. So, so another derech and avodah Hashem. Fine. We wouldn't be so upset about that. But many chalil are losing their children because the children see that the parents are simply inconsistent. They're just contradicting themselves. We have to be careful regarding this issue of the modern Orthodox to not to make this mistake to think that modern Orthodoxy that we all subscribe to means that you just make some kind of a hodgepodge of a compromise and you keep the uh, uh, 300 samad uh, mitzvahs of the 613 that's not going to fly and it will be detected right away. The children will realize that there's a fraud and there's a distortion over here. You have to be careful to try to uh, observe the mitzvahs properly with a sheet. We have to observe the mitzvahs in accordance with a consistent uh, sheet. Thank you very much.